Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 52. Today in the show, we're discussing hunting gear and all the gizmos, gadgets, and products we love, use, and abuse. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, and today we're finally doing a gear episode. We've gotten a lot of emails and messages over the past year asking for us to dive deep into the gear we use, so today finally we're going to do that, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be a pretty interesting chat, but before we get into all that, it's been a little while, Dan. What's going on? Well... My a baby is getting ready to explode from my wife's body, like in the movie Aliens, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, she is due just about like any second. I, I have my phone in front of me, so there could be a phone call coming in to where it's like, I'm going to the hospital, get there. Wow. How crazy would that be if that happened on the air? If that happens, will you just keep the phone on recording on the whole drive? to the hospital and maybe right into the room. Can you do that yep. for us? Yeah, I'll go remote with it. I'll talk about, we'll, t- we'll probably be talking about tree stands while the doctor's yelling push in the background. <laughs> That'll be uh, some some pretty special audio footage right there. Yeah, I'd just be like, can you guys keep it down? Uh, I'm recording a podcast. Yeah. Gotta get this, gotta get this. Mm-hmm. That's funny. But uh, stuff's going well with that. She, uh, feeling all right or is she just done with it she's done she's been done she hates me um (laughs) she hates pretty much everything and she's very uncomfortable um my wife is notorious for having a short fuse anyway but now she has no fuse so most of my time is just spent not talking (laughs) (laughs) like poking my head around the corner first before i enter a room Oh man, so this is like a nice little therapy session for you. You can talk and no one's yep. going to jump on you about it. Yep. I'm here for you, Dan. Thanks, man. Yeah. But I don't think our listeners want to hear me complain about my marital my my marriage and uh how how difficult 
it is in the last week of a pregnancy. I suppose not. <laughs> <laughs> on to on to funner topics, right? Exactly. Now, wait a second. Speaking of fun topics, you went to Montana and you didn't take me with you. Yeah, sorry about that. I was in Montana, yeah, for the last week. That's why you know we didn't have the episode last week, um, because I was taking my first vacation since last July, I think. So that was nice. I had a little bit of business out there, and we used that as an excuse to uh, for me and the wife to spend some time in the mountains. So, yeah, had a, quite a quite a trip, kind of all over the the western part of the state. Hit like five or six different mountain ranges, went to Glacier National Park, went to Yellowstone National Park, went to the Bitterroot Selway National Forest, the Flathead National Forest, the Gallatin National Forest, the Low Lowland National Forest. So you went over into Idaho? No. Nope, oh, no, okay. The, all, those, all those were within Montana. Okay, I gotcha. Um, but some of them, some of those national forests extend between both states. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was awesome. Beautiful country, lots of fresh air, lots of wildlife. Uh, it was good to just kind of revitalize myself with some good old fashioned wilderness. So yep, unplug a bit. Exactly. But uh, you know, after I unplugged, now when I get back to the computer, it's kind of overwhelming all the right. stuff I have to catch up on. But uh, yeah. but it's all good. It's all good. I had a. You know, I've been, I do a lot of, I spend a lot of time out, well, for for Eastern or Midwestern, I, I spend a pretty good amount of time out West. I usually go out to the mountains a couple times a year, as you know. Um, but over all those travels, I still haven't had an encounter with a grizzly bear. And I always joke with my wife that that's like the one thing on my bucket list I still really want, um, is to have some kind of, you know, safe encounter with a grizzly. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this time we came... Well, I'll, I'll just I'll tell a really quick story here. So we decided to take this hike um, in this area just north of Yellowstone National Park. So this is in Montana, north of the national park on some national forest land. And it's just this basin that goes deep into the mountains. And it was just this past Monday. So it was, you know, weekday. It's early in the season, so there's not any, really almost any tourists. It's really slow. Um, so it's really nice. Not a lot of people. Um, so we drive this dirt road way, 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 way back to get to this national forest access point. Um, and we saw three moose right at the spot where we parked our car. So that was really cool. And as we're walking down, um, there's actually a road closure. So we had to walk down a dirt road through this old ranch, essentially, to get to the national forest. Um, so on this dirt road, there's tracks from probably a few days, maybe three or four days before when the road was wet. There had been a big snow, big snowstorm the first day we got there. Um, after that snow melted, you know, there was these wet spots on the road, and so there's all sorts of tracks in the road, relatively fresh. And we came across some just huge grizzly tracks walking right down the middle of the road. So that was kind of cool, just like, yeah, there was a grizzly here, you know, a few days ago. It was pretty cool seeing that. Um, it made it kind of feel, you know, real real Western for a little bit there. Yeah. So we're walking along, and kind of we're talking about it. I got all kind of geeked out about it. Um, and then we sat, had some lunch, blah, blah, and eventually decided to turn around and come back because we had other plans for the rest of the evening. And as we walk back on the back along that same road again, we come through this little section where there's kind of a, a rocky, strewn hillside to the right side of what's just this old dirt road. that It's not accessible by vehicles. So you can only walk it right now. Um, and there's rocks all across the road now where before when we'd walked by there like an hour before, half hour before, there was nothing. Now there's a whole bunch of rocks all over. I'm like, what happened here? 
And so as we walk up and I'm looking around, immediately you just see just had happened fresh grizzly tracks in the dust all around the road right where we'd walked through so sometime you know within an hour or half hour of us walking through there a grizzly had came down crossed that road kind of milled about where we'd been walking and then headed back back up into the woods um so that was my closest call i've had with a grizzly now i still haven't seen one but i had one walk near to me or near where i was at one point recently so that was my cool thing there, I guess. Well, that's pretty neat, Mark. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't get eaten by a grizzly bear. Me too. Me too. It would have been a real... I, I was wondering about that. <laughs> what would happen? Like, if I get ate by a grizzly bear, if I fell off one of these mountains, you know, what would happen to Wired to Hunt? What would happen to this podcast? Would one day you'd find out I was dead, and you'd have to figure out how to post an episode to at least close things out and say, well, Mark's dead. This is the last episode. Uh, he got ate by a bear. Yeah. And I was like, how would Dan figure that out? Would he be able? Would he know how to post it? Would would just post on the Facebook page and say, "Sorry, we're all done." (laughs) Well, I really don't know what I would do with Wired to Hunt, but I know that it would probably take a complete 180 degree turn. I would probably drive it right into the ground, and (laughs) (laughs) and then you know all your viewers would go someplace else, and then finally it'd probably just uh, fizzle out and fade away. But. But so so do me a favor and just bring bear spray every time you go yeah. out to the into the woods so you don't get uh so you don't so I don't have to worry about all that stuff. Good, good, good plan. I'm glad uh, that's why I've got wired to hunt willed to my wife to continue on or figure out what to do with it. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh man. So yeah. I survived Montana. No bear attacks. I'll always make sure to have bear spray with me and we just are going to avoid you taking the Wired Hunt podcast from <laughs> from well, that think, point on. I think the podcast, like the recording, I can do, but like I don't know all this all the stuff where you need a professional in place, like a, a person who is a, a professional. Like I probably swear too much, you know. Just just imagine me uh, working for the National Deer Alliance. You can't have someone <laughs> in your position saying the f word, you know, when addressing the the deer hunting community. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm speechless. I don't, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> but yes, I agree with you. <laughs> so, so yeah, Montana was good. Your wife's gonna have a baby, and yep. we're talking about gear today. Talking so, gear, talking gear, and soon we'll probably be talking turkeys because I'm about to start turkey hunting tomorrow morning. So I'm excited yep. about that. But, but for now, I think we should talk about the gear we use. I know you'd like talking about gear, and I like talking about gear. And most people, I think a lot of hunters in general, we just kind of geek out about gear, don't you think? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where no matter what, like golfers love talking about golf stuff. You know, if you're into football or if you're into any other type of sport, you love talking about that kind of stuff. I mean, my brother is a Star Wars nerd, so he loves (laughs) talking about Star Wars. You know, just like all that if if you love something, you love to talk about it and all the things that go along with it. So, you know, for hunters, it's the same way. Very true. Very true. So I think with that being so true, today it makes sense that hopefully this will be an interesting episode to everyone, at least. And for whatever it's worth, I thought you and me could share the different types of gear we use and maybe some thoughts about why we use it, why we like some things, why we don't like some things. Um, 
you know, we can kind of walk through all the different things we currently use, maybe a few products that we've used in the past that we don't like, um, and we can just kind of see where things go with that. But in the end, hopefully there'll be some, um, you know, I'm sure we'll share some recommendations that maybe our listeners can take if they're interested or looking for something along those lines, or they'll, you know, just uh, hear us ramble on about what we like and what we don't like, which I guess is kind of like what every podcast usually is. So <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it'll be helpful. Um, so I think, you know, I plan, Dan, was to keep this pretty loose. Just we could kind of walk down the list of just like, you know, different categories of gear and you can tell me what you use and I could talk about what I use and then we can just, you know, argue about it as we see fit. Sound like a good plan? Hey, I'm telling you right now, everybody, everybody's going to be different. Everybody has things that work for them. And uh, like I said, I think that I'm, I, I never used to be a gearhead, but now I'm, that I'm getting deeper into it. I find myself wanting to know more about uh, specific products, why they're designed the way they're designed, and uh, I'm I'm becoming that gearhead. So, yeah, it's easy to become a gearhead too. There's just yeah. it's a you know especially these days, more and more companies coming into the fold. There's just a tremendous amount of innovation and new things coming out, and so there's always just yeah. exciting new things to learn about and to see and, and to learn about. Them. So that. Uh, that said, though, before we get into this talk, and this is, a, I think, a separate conversation, maybe, maybe a conversation, you know, we can start right here, but I think it has to be said, um, is talking about just in the hunting industry as a whole, when it comes to gear, it's always kind of shadowed by sponsorships, right? Yep. If, you, if you watch any hunting TV show um, or, or really any hunting media, there are sponsorships attached to every piece of media where companies are paying, you know, X TV show or host or writer or whatever it might be to use their product or to promote their product or whatever it might be. And so these days when you, know, you see so-and-so on TV talking about, ah, this bow, I would have never killed this deer because I, you know, without this bow, you know, these recommendations that we get from a lot of guys now, you know, are kind of uh, tainted, I think, because, well, they're just getting paid to say that. Um... And so you and me have both talked about the frustrations of that sometimes where it's just kind of everything's getting pimped all the time and it just gets a yeah. little overwhelming, right? And it's and it's one thing where a really good product can can go unnoticed because the marketing budgets of these other companies and, you know, these celebrities saying that this specific product is good, these these new and innovative products can sometimes just go right under the table and never be seen or never be used. Yeah, that's so true. There's a lot of, a lot to be said about marketing. Yeah. Um, and I guess I kind of like that since I'm a marketing major. So yep, me too. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. Look at us now. <laughs> um, so I guess with, with that all being the case, I wanted to talk a little bit about my perspective on sponsorships and how I've tried to approach it because, you know, as I think everybody knows, um, you know, Wired to Hunt has, has partners or sponsors. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about, about that and be transparent about it and also make sure everyone understood what those relationships look like and, and mean and what my mindset has gone, has been going into that process. Um, and make sure everyone understands that before we start talking about gear, because inevitably I'm, I'm going to be talking about some products that are, you know, related to my sponsors and some that aren't. Um, so, like I've said, you know, it's really frustrating if you look at a lot of the hunting media today, it just how kind of slimy it all feels. So, you know, with that being the case, when I started Wired to Hunt, 
I wanted to try to do it a different way. I wanted to, I wanted to feel comfortable and honest about talking about my partnerships or sponsorships with my listeners or with my readers. Um, and so with that being the case, I, I needed to make sure I was partnering with the right companies because what I didn't want to ever have happen is, you know, there's some company associated with me or Wired to Hunt, and I had to say something about that company that I didn't feel was true. And then if I'm doing that, if I'm not being honest with my audience, those people who are reading my stuff, you know, they have no reason to trust anything I do ever again. So I knew I, I couldn't do that. So with that being the case, I don't I don't even know if you know, knew this, Dan, uh, but when I started Wired to Hunt, I did not make a single dime from Wired to Hunt for over three years. Um, I just ran it with no advertisements, no sponsorships, no nothing for years. And I, you know, as some people know, I worked every single day posting new articles, new things, and I grew the audience to a large enough size, you know, where I, I had people that wanted to advertise, that wanted to sponsor, that wanted to do things. Um, but what I decided is that I would not accept any partnerships or sponsorships or advertisers until it was a company that I actually had experience with or trust in that I could feel really comfortable, you know, putting my name behind it. Um, so it wasn't until like three and a half years in that I finally had that. Um, and that's what I've tried to, or that's what I have done ever since. Um, so, you know, with, with all of our current partners, um, every single one of them, I have, most of them, I've been using their products for 5, 10, 15 years even in some cases since before we ever had any kind of official relationship. And anything new in the future, the biggest thing for me is that it has to be a product that I, you know, really truly do believe in and really truly use before I'll, I'll ever associate it with Wired Hunt in any way. So that all being the case, I do have partners on Wired Hunt. They do pay me, and they pay they pay Wired Hunt for that exposure. And, and so the, everyone understands this is what our partners get when they you know, agree to be a sponsor of Wired Hunt. They get ads on the site, which you guys, I'm, I'm sure you've seen on the site, on the main homepage, on the individual blog post pages. They also get mentioned in the podcast, and they get, you know, if I'm using any of their products, they get featured in our videos, they get featured in photography, um, and different things like that. So basically, product placement. By virtue of the fact I use their products, they're going to be seen, and that's helpful to their brand. Um, what I make very clear to anyone that I'm working with is that they're not paying me for a glowing um, endorsement of everything they do, of every product they have. Um, I can't do that because I'm not just a TV show. I'm not a TV show host at all, but I'm also, you know, in the media and I, you know, part of the value I have to bring is, is critical, you know, journalism and looking at stuff honestly and talking about what's good, what's bad, what's indifferent. Um, so I've made it very clear that when I talk about any of the products that I'm using, if that's from a partner, I'm going to tell the honest opinion of what I think about it. I use sure some of these things I use because they're given to me, and I, I'll be I'll be honest about that, right? Some of these things are given to me. Some of these things I've paid for, um, but I'm only going to use the things that I really do trust that I really would be using even if I didn't have a relationship with them. Um, and so I guess I just wanted to make sure that was like clear and open and everybody understood that. So I'll talk about a lot of products and I'll explain why I like them. Um, but you know, I'm never going to tell you that you won't be able to kill a big buck if you don't use this bow or if you don't use this camouflage or if you don't use this blind. There's lots of good options out there. Um, these are options that have worked well for me and that I believe in, uh, but yeah, there might be other options that work different and that work better for you. It's all personal preference, I think. And Dan, you know, you and me, we use different gear. We both are going to have just probably just as good of a chance at a mature buck if we do certain things the right way. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I think a lot of this, while you know there are some things that I think are better than others, we're all going to have our different opinions. And um, I guess that's why I wanted to have this conversation, so we can talk all about that and uh, and dive into why and, and what and how and all these things that are always usually pretty interesting. So, Yeah, and, I, and like you said, man, I, I've seen I've, – I've been in the quote unquote hunting industry. God, I hate saying that because it sounds so douchey, but like, but I've been, I've, I've had exposure to it and I've seen the good and the bad side of what you're talking about and where people are flip flopping to the highest bidder based on, you know, what product's going to, going to give them the most, even though the product may be a piece of junk, they got a huge marketing budget they're going to be able to pay this this top dog whoever it is you know bigger amount of money to use this particular product and uh, then basically what they do is you know they have you know tons of people who trust them and are going to purchase this product even though it may not be the best so it's one of those things where we're going to we're going to talk about our experiences today you the listener need to do your own research and find out what products work best for you, your hunting style, and your scenarios, and and make your decisions based off that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I think that's the thing is that, like you said, there's just so many examples out there of, of people that, from you know my perspective, have done it in a way that doesn't seem to be the best way. And so I think you know what we're going to try to do here. What I've what I've tried to do here with Wired Darn is to do things the right way, be transparent about things, and share my perspective and share your perspective. And so I say, let's just get into it. Enough of this hobnobbing around it. Um, let's talk some gear. What are we going to talk about first? I think let's uh, let's start with tree stands. Dan, what kind of tree stands do you like? Right now, all my tree stands are lone wolf tree stands with four climbing sticks, lone wolf climbing sticks. I have used that, I've also used muddy climbing sticks and I've also used uh, muddy tree stands and they they all seem to work really good. Um, I've in, When I first started hunting, I was the cheapo ladder stands that you could buy at Farm King, which is a, a store in Iowa that you buy like farm supplies at for like 60 bucks, I'd buy a tree stand and that's what I hunted with most of the, most of the time. And uh, yeah, some of my lone wolves I've received for free. Some of them I've purchased myself. But uh, lone wolf just works for my kind of hunting style. You know, we talk about running and gunning all the time, and I'm a firm believer in that. And lone wolf allows me to do that. I can walk into a timber. I can set up the tree stand in under 10 minutes, and 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 be hunting. And it it's, it allows me to be mobile. And that is the biggest reason that I use those tree stands. So I think like the Lone Wolf Assault, I think is what it's called, um, or Alpha something or other. There's a couple of them. Yeah. On the hang-ons, those are running like 350 bucks or something like that. Um, yep. Is it, worth, is it worth that much money to get a single tree stand like that? And why do you think so if, if that's the case? If you're – and I'll tell you right now, here's my, here's my view on that. If you're a public land hunter and you only you, you don't feel comfortable taking your tree stands or leaving your tree stands in the tree and you hunt like I know a lot of public hunters do, tear up, set down, tear up, set down, I can see where that, let's say, $300 mark may sound cheap at first, but the 
the mobility that I mean, it offers. Sound expensive. expensive. Yeah, yeah. Sound expensive, excuse me. But the mobility that it's it offers and the the time that you're gonna get out of that tree stand is gonna be worth it in the long run because you are only gonna need really one of those stands. Now, if you own your property or you lease property, I can see where you you may not need a stand that expensive because it's just going to sit in the tree anyway and you're going to use it as a, a permanent stand anyway. There's other products out there that are very similar to to that and and even I've used combinations of my muddy tree stand and my sticks like um, the company uh, Extreme Outdoor Products. It's actually the same guy who originally decide, um, designed the Lone Wolf. Um, he sold Lone Wolf and then he started up a new company with his son called Extreme Outdoor Products. It's basically the same one, same tree stand. It's a little cheaper. It's The only difference is one uh, Lone Wolf is American made and uh, I think XOP is made in China. I might have to look into that. Um, I think Gorilla tree stands have hang-ons and sticks that can do the same thing for, mm-hmm. for a cheaper price tag. So there's, there's other, there's other products out there that are similar, but the reason that I like Lone Wolf so much is there's the way their sticks can stack and tighten to the tree stand without, because that's what they were designed to do. So you can tie them, you know, tie them real tight and it makes no noise if you do it right. Plus now they've got the new stick quiver, right? Have you seen that? Yeah, I've I've seen that, and I personally haven't used it yet. But from I think from a design's perspective, you have to take you have to take that that quiver off the tree if you want to set the tree stand up. You so, mean off the tree stand? Yeah, off the tree stand. Excuse me, off the tree stand if you want to set the tree stand up in the tree. So that's two extra parts that you're going to have to take off the tree stand. And, and then there's the, the question, is it going to make noise when it comes out? Is it going to, when you snap it in or take it out, does it make noise when you take off those quivers on the backside of the stand before you set the tree stand up? Does that make noise? Because the whole selling point of a lone wolf tree stand or any hang-on stand is it's got to be quiet when you're setting it up, especially if you're running and gunning. Yeah, yeah. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. 
And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Um, you know, what about the, you? Yeah, I think, uh, I hate to say it, but I'm going to have to agree with you, Dan. It's not a good start. We I, was, I was hoping we, we, we were going to agree be on something. We agree on something. I was really hoping we could butt heads here, but no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've used a lot of different tree stands. Um, and probably, you know, two of my favorites are the two that you mentioned, um, Lone Wolf. And I, re- I have really liked my muddy stands and muddy sticks and Lone Wolf sticks. And what I found is, is for me, a combination of different types of stands works best for me. So currently right now, and you know, things change, I'm sure I'm going to try different things and everything. But right now, like this past season, the setup that I used was one of the Lone Wolf Assault hang-ons, which is their small, super lightweight um, hang-on portable stand. And then what I like to use is I have their sticks and I like their sticks a lot, um, but I also like the Muddy sticks. And Muddy has sticks that use a rope and cam system to attach to the tree instead of a buckle system. Um, or kind of the loop de loop system, um, and with the lone wolf sticks, you've got that metal—I don't know what else to call it other than a buckle. It's not really a buckle, but um, it's this metal piece that, if you drop that, you know, it'll clang up against the side of your sticks. Um, with the uh, muddy, it just has a piece of rope, and the rope wraps around the tree and kind of latches into this clamp, and. Um, it's perfectly silent. It's really easy to set up. So I like those just a little bit more than Lone Wolf Sticks. Not that I, I use the Lone Wolf Sticks a lot too, and they work great. But my perfect setup when I'm being mobile, when I'm going into a piece of public land or new farm, I'm not, I've not hunted them before if I don't have, or even if I just want to be you know, running and gunning like you do a lot, is I'll use the Lone Wolf Assault and then four muddy sticks. Um, that's like my portable set. Um, but I think something you said, it, it makes a lot of sense and it's kind of what I do. I like to have a couple of these like premium stands. So I have my lone wolf hang on and sticks, and then I also have a lone wolf climber. So for my mobile setups, I was willing to, I paid for those and it was not cheap. I think the, the climbing set was like 400 bucks or something like that. So I used like all the money and gift cards and everything I had from Christmas a couple <laughs> years ago, um, to get it. Um, but for the portable sets where I'm trying to go in there, like you said, super quiet. I want something lightweight that's on my back, you know, because I'm hiking in there far with all my gear. I wanted to have something a little bit nicer. And I do think that spending extra money for that type of thing makes sense because I use that so much. Um, but 
for all my other tree stands that I hang on all the different farms I hunt, my lease, my property, the different spots here in Michigan where I just have a bunch of, you know, kind of not permanent, but stands that are up there for a full season or two seasons or whatever it might be. I can't afford to buy a bunch of $200 or $300 stands right now to put all over those places. I probably have like 20 or 30 different stands hung up across all my different properties, and there's no way I could spend that much money. So I have experimented a lot with the bargain basement tree stands, like the cheapest things you can buy um, to to just be able to afford to get myself in a tree. Um, and I've used a lot that really sucked, like a lot where they're miserable to use. They hardly hang on the tree. They make noise. They move around awful. Um, like Dunham's. Uncomfortable. Yeah, super uncomfortable. Dunham's Sporting Goods Store. I don't know if that's anywhere in Iowa, but there's they're kind of a discounted sporting goods store in uh in michigan they sell some cheap stands by some generic brand i i, can't, I don't even know what the name of the brand is to tell you the truth but it's like they're cheap stands for like 30 40 50 bucks you can get these and i used to load up on them just because they're the cheapest things i could get and so i have these hanging all over a bunch of my properties and they are just god awful like so bad i can um, just imagine the squeaking every time you shift your way you're you're, you're real close to the tree because you're afraid that one of the cables are going to break. Uh-huh. I've had, like, there's one. It's, like, <laughs> it's it's horrible. And I sit there thinking to myself, like, this is like this is what you do. Like, why are you using this horrible, crappy tree stand? <laughs> um, so I've slowly been upgrading them. Um, and luckily, I've been able to find an upgrade that's not much more expensive. It's, it's $40 when it's on sale. Uh, I think I may have told you about this before, but it's the Comfort Zone tree stand. The brand is called Comfort Zone. And I think it's, I don't know. Maybe it's called the Hunter or something like that, but the brand is Comfort Zone. And as far as I know, it's only sold by Dick's Sporting Goods. I think it's probably their like uh, their generic brand that they uh, that they supply. Um, but for a forty dollars tree stand, it's by far better than all the other cheap bargain tree stands I've used. What's um, that run? It's forty dollars. Okay, I'm gonna look into those. Yeah, I mean it's you know, some guys, like if you're used to using $150, $200 stands all the time, you know, these stands aren't going to be that great. But for like, it's, it just covers the basics. It's a much more comfortable seat. It, uh, you know, attaches firmly to the tree. I don't have issues with what, like once I cinch down a strap, it stays cinched down and tight. With other cheapo tree stands, I'll cinch it down and like the next day I come back and it's loose again or creaking or different things. It's, this is just, it's simple. It's not a huge platform. Um, it's not a huge super cushiony seat, but it's, it's a good enough seat. It's a good enough platform and it stays where it needs to be and it stays quiet. Um, and so for me right now, I have got my couple premium tree stands that I move around with. And then I've got a bunch of these cheap tree stands, but I'm currently right now, at least I'm buying comfort zones um, because that's the best option I've found right now for a cheap tree stand. That's pretty good. So that's what I'm using. I, so uh, do you ever run into a situation where you're, you're, you're trying to do a run and gun or you, or you're setting up tree stands and, and the right tree is too big for the hanging sticks, the hang on sticks, whether it's the lone wolf or muddy. So you have to use screw in steps. Do you ever use screw in steps? I do use screw and steps. Um, usually just for like my, not you know my pseudo permanent stand. So the ones yeah. that I'm gonna be keeping up all season, I do use the screw ins. I don't like them. I hate them. No, I do too. They're man, they're dangerous. If 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 you get, I mean, depending on what kind you use, they can when it's wet or there's frost on them, they can be slippery. I mean, I've I was climbing down one time and I caught my manhood oh. on one of the, on one of the hooks, so I had to like force myself back up and shift over and and uh so that like i don't like to use them whenever 
I don't have to, but if it's in the right, if I need to be in the right spot, it's a good, it's a good starter. Like the first two steps where you can, you know, the, the bottom stick won't fit around the base of the tree, but you put in two screwing steps. And then by the time you get maybe five feet off the ground, then your, your hang ons will, will work past that point. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, they're not ideal, but they are the cheapest option. Um, so I, I use them a lot. I use them a lot because I'm, you know, for the most part, pretty cheap. Um, I, I, what I do prefer is I do like the, oh gosh, the climbing, like the, not the individual climbing sticks. Like we're talking about, like with lone wolf or muddy, love those, but like the ones that like four pieces attached together, like kind of a long skinny ladder that you then strap to the tree. Yeah. Um, I prefer those for my permanent sets that I'm hanging up, you know, early in the year. I like those. Um, and I've been fine with different cheap models of that. Whatever I can afford, I get. And those are all basically, you know, good enough for me at this point, at least. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's what we use when it comes to tree stands. That's right. What do you uh, what do you want to move on to next? Your call. Well, my call. Yeah, your call. Well, let's just go next on the list, and that's calls. Yeah, let's talk calls. Um, I'll uh, I'll share my thoughts if you don't mind first. Yeah, go for it. This again for me, as with a lot of the gear I use, has just been like what I started with and I liked and I've yeah. got gotten confidence with. Um, so early on, I just always used Primo's calls. It was just you know brand that seemed reputable back in the day when I was you know getting started in this kind of thing and. I've always been pretty happy with them, and I've still been happy with them. There's, there's lots of other good call makers out there, and I might try others. But right now, the Primo's Buck Roar is my call of choice. It's uh, I like it because it's got a, a deep, guttural sound. It get, I've got plenty of you know options to get good volume out of it. And then also has a snort wheeze tube on it so that I can amplify that snort wheeze sound. Um, so for me, that, that grunt tube at this time is always with me. And then I also use one of the... Uh, the doe and estrus bleep can, bleep cans, um, and I think that I think that's Primo's brand too, I believe. Um, so those are the two calls I use, and then I've got a little rattling bag. Sometimes I bring out antlers, but most of the time I actually just bring a rattling bag. Uh, I don't like them as much as antlers, but from a portability standpoint, it's just a lot easier when I've got camera gear and all my hunting stuff. Sometimes a tree stand, you know, on my back plus my bow. Um, it's hard to then strap on a set of antlers too, clacking around on the back. So I've got, I think it's a night and hail, uh, rattling bag that I, you know, probably got five or six years ago and that just works. That works fine. So that's you what don't I use. You don't use the black rack. I do not use the black rack. Um, that advertisement with uncle Cy <laughs> almost convinced me to try the black rack, but, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I haven't tried it yet. <laughs> so that's my, that's my calling setup. What, uh, what do you got going on? I tell you, man, I was disappointed this year. The grunt tube that I had had used and have had a ton of su- success with over the years, finally stopped working 12 years. I had it for 12 wow. years. I used the same grunt call, just this deep, perfect grunt. And then I would snort wheeze with my mouth. Yep. Um, it it stopped working. Like I think the reed on the inside finally just gave out from you know use and then extreme heat to extreme cold and back and forth. That reed busted. So I went to uh, Gander Mountain and I opened every 
grunt call they had and the guy looked at me like <laughs> i was crazy and i started blowing grunt calls you're and, that guy uh, i'm that guy in gander mountain you know making you know making the sound with it and i ended up going with uh <laughs> it, it's so bad but the the bone collector jeez. Oh, uh, yeah but it, it, it sounded it sounded the best to me is it the so, one that looks like an antler so it, it has blends an, in it uh it an antler on one side and then a big black tube on the other <laughs> and you can like squeeze it and, and control the the pitch and tone and everything by doing that yep. and it actually works really good and yep. i've grunted it a couple bucks this year one good three-year-old and uh and i also use uh, i think i also use a primos uh bleak call that i very rarely use um and then I, I always use uh, shed antlers for rattling. Yeah. They definitely sound better, don't they? Yeah. I mean, and for when it comes to calls, I've learned that less at times is more. And this year, I think I blew my grunt call maybe twice. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. that's even less than I expected. Yeah. Um, I've had like, you know, I, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Less is usually more. And it's all about picking the right timing when you're going to use that too. Yeah. Um, but I've had a pretty good amount of success with with calling deer in um, with my grunt tubes. I think it's all about just understanding the timing of like when when the right time is to use them. Because if you're if you're using them all the time, I think you can definitely blow yourself. You know, blow, you can definitely blow it. <laughs> let's, just, Edit. Uh, let's, just, let's just move on. Let's just move on. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> That's all I'm trying to say. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you, have to, uh, you have to be able to watch their, uh, like, learn a buck's body language because nope. if there, there's certain times, and I've, I've learned this the hard way so many times, when to call and when not to call, and I've called when their body language was either already tense or they were on extreme, like, extreme high focus and they'll either pick you off or they'll they'll locate you in a heartbeat and then they'll swoop all the way downwind to you and you're then you're done yeah yeah i think that that reading of the body language like you said so important we really have to have a full episode maybe just about calling and all these different things and things we've learned and maybe get somebody else on to get another perspective but that's another thing that there's a there's there is a lot to talk about when it comes to that i think it is more of a there's a little bit of an art form to it, just knowing the nuances of when the right time is to try some of the thing, these things and right time of year, right time of day, right situation, all those types of deals. So we'll have to dive into that more at another time. But uh, but that's interesting to hear, um, you know, in regards to, to your success with that bone collector, um, which is, you know, ironic given some of the things we said earlier. But there's, yeah. you know, nothing against those guys and the products they endorse. I know there's lots of good stuff there, too. Um, but, you know. Yeah, it is what it is. So, um, <laughs> next moving, topic. Moving right along. Um, harnesses. I have used a couple different harnesses in my day. Um, I've personally used harnesses from Muddy and from Gorilla. 
Um, I also know a lot of guys that have been happy with the hunter safety system, so that's something I've looked at too. Um, for me, across the board, you know, I, I like I like both the harnesses I use from Muddy and Gorilla. Um, but what I specifically like is I like the low, like the low profile ones, the kind of ultralight ones. I don't like the big vests, you know, the yeah. the ones that were really popular maybe like five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago. Um, I prefer the ones that are just you know the two thin straps, thin leg straps. Um, I gosh, I. I think the one I'm currently using is the Gorilla XO something or other. I should know this, but I don't off the top of my head. Um, but I really like it. Um, and then the same, the original Muddy that I used like five years ago or something was a very similar design. Again, it's that um, kind of low profile type model. And I like those a lot. But I think, you know, any one of those three brands that I've had some experience with, I think they all they all make quality products that will be, you know, they're going to be safe, which is the most important thing. They'll keep you safe in the trees as long as you use it properly. Um, I think it's just a matter of finding what fit and feel you like the most, um, which for me, I liked the minimalist design. That's the the word I like the most is the minimalist. So as few straps, as few um, you know encumbrances as possible, that's uh, that's what I like. So that's what my uh, current harness is, uh, is all about. What about you? I used to use one of those uh, vest ones. And to be honest with it, I liked it yeah. because the it's it was one piece, and those um, straps never would tangle. They never would uh, they would never would twist, and I could slip it on like a coat, and I'm good to go. Now the only problem with that is, or any any safety harness, when you get up in the tree and you need to remove layers or take you know, especially a hooded sweatshirt, you got to take the top part off and and put it back on, and, and after after you put your you know your next layer of clothing on, but um, but I now I'm currently using a lone wolf, uh, a lone wolf system, with the padded shoulder straps, and I know it's probably not the safest, but I like to lean to take lean forward and have my safety harness strap really tight. So it takes some of the pressure off of the back and legs. So, you know, cause I, I try to sit down as you know, when there's no activity, but I always feel like something could come out at any time. So I, I like to stand a lot. So I like to lean back. I like face the tree and I lean back and it, it just, for me, it's comfortable. Yeah, no, I think um, I've I've done the same thing too sometimes, yeah. um, and it's nice when you've got a good harness that you feel safe doing that in. So, yep. so that's harnesses. Um, harnesses. How about weapons? That's a big weapons. one. People, grenades. People. Well, you're using grenades out there. Well, I think in one of uh, Ted Nugent's books, he said, <laughs> "If it was legal to hunt with a hand grenade, I'd do it." And. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't doubt that. <laughs> not not really me, my style, but <laughs> me on the other hand, I I mean it'd be cool to see what would happen, you know, if you like put a hand grenade next to a cow or something, but I don't think I'd ever use one. I no. only bow hunt. The only time I use a gun is for turkey hunting, and uh, we're not talking about turkey hunting today. So bows. My very first bow I ever bought was a Bowtech Tribute. And, well, the very first bow I bought with my own money was a bow, Bowtech Tribute. The very first bow I ever er, shot ever with, I think it was made out of two-by-fours. <laughs> but <laughs> but when, when I went, then I, 
I made that jump from, you know, like the old compound bows to the new age, new technology, Bowtech Tribute. It shot awesome. I, I loved it. And then um, through the old company that I used to be with, uh, we had a sponsorship by Elite. And I, my opinion, I go to, I go to the ATA show and I go to these trade shows every year and I shoot every bow on the market. And in my personal opinion, just like everybody has their personal opinion, elite bows work for me and just have something about them that are so smooth and flawless and, uh, they are, I don't know, they just, their draw, their valley, their, you know, when you release, there's, there's hardly any vibration on the hand, you know, even without, without a, um, uh, the thing that you screw into the end of the bow. Stabilizer? Stabilizer. <laughs> <laughs> Holy smokes. Wow. Even without a stable. I think your your archery recommendations are very valid now that we know that you don't know what a stabilizer is. You know that thing, you know there. No, but uh, I can't believe I had a brain fart. But but Elite is awesome. Now, Elite is expensive, and they're on the very high end of the bow price spectrum. Uh, so save your save your pennies. Yeah, I've heard good things about them from yep. you and from a couple other people they definitely seem like a good company I have not used them though um, yep. me personally I started when I was a kid shooting well my first compound bow I, I first had a little long bow I don't even know what brand it was but um, my first compound was a PSE and I used PSEs for I don't know five six seven years I think and well no longer than that um, but I guess I think five years ago or somewhere around there I switched to a bear bow and since then that's all I've been shooting and I've been really happy with them I mean similar to why you like elite um, some of the reasons you listed there are the same things about what I like about my bear bows um, recently I've shot the motive and before that I think it was the anarchy um, and what I really liked about it was how smooth it was just you know it's very they're plenty fast enough um, I think my bow right now sh is listed IBO speed around like 330 feet per second I think um, with a hunting arrow and everything it's over 300 feet per second still and um, it's plenty fast enough but it, it's forgiving like I like a forgiving bow yeah. I, I practice a lot you know I make sure I'm a good shot but I don't claim to be some kind of tournament archer I'm not gonna I'm not that good um, so I like a bow I'd rather be you know a little more forgiving with my bow than be a speed demon and get the fastest most aggressive bow on the market so for me that's what I really like about my current setup um, and any new bow I'll be getting you know or be trying out you know that's what I'll be looking for something that's forgiving something that's gonna be comfortable easy to hold back on um, you know I don't yeah. want something that's gonna come flying out of my hand when I'm at full draw you know this past season with the deer I killed in Ohio I was at full draw for a minute and 45 seconds um, and I'm not some kind of bodybuilder um, so that was not easy but with this bow it was as easy as it possibly could have been I think for me um, because it holds holds back really well it's got a nice firm back wall um, and I'm just comfortable with it I'm very comfortable with it very smooth very quiet and like you said with your elite I also feel like my bear is you know very quiet too so that's the bow I've been shooting and been very happy with I think you know again with all these things when it comes to bows a lot of it 
again, it's personal preference, like we've talked about. Uh, but it's, yep. you know, what's the right feel for you, and also what's the right brand for you? You know, what what brand do you associate with? Because like r- whether we like it or not, all the, a lot of these product decisions come down to what that brand you know means to us. Mm-hmm. And some companies do a good job of you know developing some kind of meaning behind their product that you want to be affiliated with, and some companies don't. Um, you know, for me with Bear. I'm really kind of fascinated by the history. I'm kind of a romantic in that I enjoy, like, you know, great stories. And the story of Fred Bear, the, the icon of Fred Bear, and, you know, everything that went into, you know, Bear Archery being what it is now is pretty neat to me. Um, you know, started in Michigan where I'm from. So all of that has really, you know, compelled me to be, you know, even more excited about taking a bear bow with me out in the woods because there's a lot of history behind it, which is pretty neat. You know, my grandpa, I think, was shooting a bear bow when he was out there in the woods a long time ago. So, um, you know, I'm pretty excited about that. I've been happy with that bow choice. And there's lots of other options out there. There's plenty of good bows. I think there's 10 different bow brands or maybe more. I don't know what it is. But there's a good number of brands out there that, you know, all produce a very quality product. It's just a matter of going out there and, and feeling each one. I would highly recommend, you know, making a bow decision based on personal experience with it. Like go to a shop and shoot these bows because they all shoot different. And some brands, one guy might really love how it feels. And to you, it just might not feel right for you and your body type. Um, so go out there and actually test these things before you make a purchase decision. I personally think that's a really important thing, especially with bows, more than almost anything. Um, I really think you need to get your hands on it, feel it, test it out, um, and make your decision based on that before you know doing anything else. Yep. I actually had a conversation with uh, professional archer Levi Morgan, You know, basically the best compound archer in the world. And um, he told me that the, he feels that the biggest mistakes that archers make is is equipment that does not fit them meaning draw length and poundage and in that he recommends going to uh going to a trusted archery shop where they're not trying to sell you a bow but they're trying to get you with the mo the bow that fits you the best you know just like just exactly what you just said yeah, super important, super yep. important. Now, when it comes to guns, um, I use a number of different firearms. Um, fire, you know, gun hunting. I do a little bit. You know, as you know, I hunt for a few days during our, excuse me, a few days during our rifle season here in Michigan, and then usually for a week or two during muzzleloader across different states. Um, so when it comes to rifles, I'm just old timey. I'm still using the gun that my grandpa passed down to me, which is a Winchester semi-auto. Um, and so I've been using that gun forever. It's my, the rifle, it's like from the 70s or something like that. And it's worked just fine for me. So that's what I use. Um, as for muzzleloaders, I've used Thompson Center and I've used CVA. Um, and they've both, been, they've both been fine. I've made some mistakes with not taking proper care probably of them as I, as I need to. Um, I've had a couple issues with not getting things cleaned well enough or soon enough, and that caused some some issues with a couple guns I've had in the past. Um, but I think either one of those brands produces a good quality muzzleloader. And again, it's just figuring out what you you know what you personally like. When it comes to a muzzleloader, I like an easy to take out breech plug because it can it can be a real pain in the butt if you need a tool to take out the breech plug. Um, you know when you have to clean things. So that was one of the things I was looking for when I bought a new muzzleloader a year or two ago. Um, that my CVA Optima currently has i like that about it um 
I also, if I had the money, I'd like to upgrade to a muzzleloader that has some kind of coating on the barrel to reduce rust and issues like that. Um, my current gun doesn't have that, and I kind of wish I'd upgraded because anything to minimize the corrosion and issues with rust and, and junk with a muzzleloader, I think, is probably, if you use it a lot, it's probably worth the money because that's the biggest pain in the butt with a muzzleloader is that they just so easily um, get impacted by, you know, corrosion and all that. So for whatever it's worth, that's one thing I, you know, would think is worth investing in. Yeah. So I don't use uh, a gun, so pass. Pass. What about sun control? We've talked a little bit about that in the past. What kind of stuff do you use? Not let's not not clothing related, but you know, uh, in addition to whatever clothing, if you have sun control clothing, what sun control measures and products do you like to use? Yeah, I'll I'll just make my personal comment here. I, I feel that. The scent that comes off your body, I don't care what clothing company says that it will do to, to it. It may help re- reduce it or, or anything. A majority of your scent comes from your mouth. And unless they have some rebreather type device, you're never going to be able to eliminate it 100%. So there's my rant for, on that. But me and you... We both use Ozonix. We've talked about it several times on the podcast before. It's science, and it uh, <laughs> it it works. I mean, I have seen nothing but good results from this product. Uh, basically, what it does, it oxygen goes in and out comes ozone, which is O3. It's a disruptive molecule. And it it fades your scent stream. Basically, what that means is it uh, it just it it do, it makes your scent not your scent. So it's diluted enough to where downwind, when a deer smells it, smells what the ozone because ozone, ozone has a smell, and it they don't get spooked by it. It it catches their attention. But it's not uh, I want to kill you scent. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever, and you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months. 
wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit, you match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. I hope I did a good enough job of explaining it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, we like you said, we've talked about it a lot, so I won't rail on it too much more, but I definitely do think it works too. I don't, you know, yeah. it's not 100% fail proof. Nope, it's not going to help not. every single time, but it helps. It helps enough that I, I take it out with me in, in the tree and – I wouldn't go out there without it um, if yeah. I can at all help it. So I use those Onyx. Um, I also use Hunter Specialties scent control products like their shampoo, their soap, yep. their laundry detergent. Um, I've with their spray. I, I use all those things. So I do the whole scent control regimen. I shower in scent-free soap. I then wash everything in scent-free detergent. I keep all my clothes in a you know, sealed container outside. I don't change into my hunting gear till I'm outside before I'm about to go out hunting. So I do all that, and then I spray down with their spray. Um, and, you know, I, I use that brand. I think, I think a lot of the brands work. Um, the only reason why I've been personally using Hunter Specialties right now is that maybe four or five years ago, I read a study, a scientific study that showed um, that basically went and used a whole bunch of different scent control products. And I can't even remember what the actual experiment was, but there was some way they were able to actually see the chemical um, changes that happened when this spray was sprayed into something to destroy or whatever it is to, to get rid of that scent molecule. And Hunter Specialties product at that time worked the best. Um, so I've been using it since, and it's worked well enough for me, you know, I'm not 100% scent free out there. I still get winded sometimes, um, but it's dramatically less than it used to be, and it's dramatically less than I think it would be if I didn't do all these different things. So I use those Onyx. I use all the various scent control products from Hunter Specialties, and then also this year I started using Nose Jammer sometimes. Bingo! Which yeah, Bingo! Which is the other little trick that we've been trying recently. Um, and again, I think it helps. Um, it's It's not a, you know, it's, it's not the magic bean. It's not going to cure all your problems. It's not going to fool a deer's nose all the time, but it's another little thing I can put in my favor. Um, I'm not a good enough hunter to be able to get away with just my pure woodscraft. I admittedly need all the things I can get to help me out. So um, nose jammer is something that has this, some other, there's vanilla extract. To some degree, there's some amount of vanilla extract and something else in this product that just kind of fools with the deer's nose enough that it blocks to a degree other scents. So, um, between trying to eliminate as much sun as I can and then having this <laughs> nose jammer that kind of 
messes with the deer's nose a little bit. And then having ozone, which eliminates more scent, I'm doing a whole bunch of crazy things, but it helps. Um, yeah, I've had a couple times where I couldn't have my, o- my ozonics with me or the battery died once and I forgot and I didn't replace it. And I went out there and I didn't have anything. And um, I sprayed a bunch of nose jammer and I had a whole bunch of does come right down wind to me. And I was like super paranoid. They were going to blow out and ruin the hunt. And they stopped and they smelt it and they're smelling it and smelling it. And they just, you know, they couldn't figure out what was going on and they, they moved on and it was fine. So I've had enough circumstances to know that um, it's helpful. That's what I use. Everyone has their own ideas and thoughts on it, but I think the most important thing when it comes to scent control is do something. You know, don't don't pretend that you don't need to worry about your scent because you know number one you need to be hunting the wind. You know, keep in mind the wind and do your absolute best to make sure you minimize the amount of times that deer are going to be downwind of you. But you're never going to be able to get it perfect. Deer don't always follow the playbook, right? They uh. They do crazy things. They do things that we don't think they'll do, and inevitably there are going to be deer that end up downwind of you. And if you're not taking care of your scent to some degree or taking some type of measures to, to eliminate some of that or reduce some of that, you're going to miss out on opportunities. Yep. Yep. I, uh, I agree. I can't – I'll put it to you this way. I have seen so many good results with Nose Jammer the past two years. I am surprised at what deer – I have seen come into my location through my access route because of that product. I, I'm not here trying to promote it. I'm just saying give it a try. It's a bottle of it is cheap. Spray it on your feet. I spray it on my legs when you walk in uh, to your stand. And I, I just I witnessed more deer coming through the same way that I use to access my stand that I feel that it's worth it's worth using. Yeah, that's the same thing that happened to me this year. Is, you, know, you and a couple of our other friends all kept telling me I should try it. And so the first time I ever tried it was the day that I killed my Ohio buck. And he did just that. He walked right up my access trail, walked right where I walked. And usually, especially in Michigan, this is in Ohio, so it's a little bit different. But usually if a deer walked across my path, they would spook immediately. But he just walked right in. So, so yeah, that's another little thing worth trying. There's, um, a, there's a kind of a running theme here with some of the – some of the stuff that we're talking about and it's this this scientific research that's going into these products now where you know several years ago you know even I think even up to five maybe six years ago there wasn't this this innovation or scientific energy put into some of these products you know very, what I mean very true yeah so true and I like that I like the fact that oh I love it yeah it's especially for people like us who are you know gearheads to a degree um, and interested in this stuff I like being able to see the fact that there was actually some mindful design behind a yep. product and in some research. research behind a product yep. yeah um, which I think brings you know me very I think that circles very well into the next category I want to talk about which was clothing yes um, and this is one that you and me have bounced back and forth a lot we've had kind of had our internal debates about things um, so I'll share my two cents yep. and I'll be interested to hear yours too um, but I, as probably everybody knows, I wear Sitka gear, and I started wearing Sitka uh, five years ago, I think. Um, I saw, I came across, right when I started Wired to Hunt, I came across a video about the science of camouflage, I think it was called, um, and it was it was developed by Sitka at that time as they were launching their camouflage pattern called Optifade, and it talked all about 
the diff different research and design processes that went into developing this camouflage, digital camouflage, taking into mind how deer see and how we are positioned when hunting deer and all these different things. Um, and it was, this is actually, the original Optifade was designed for big game hunting out west, so elk and different things at distance and how deer or how elk and different animals see and it was fascinating stuff and so right away i was like wow this is a company that's looking into these types of things um at you know at that time it was just you know your basic generic camouflage patterns that look like a bunch of leaves um this was something that was very different so i was really interest, interested in it and as i learned more about them i became more intrigued because at that time sitco was the first company that had taken the fabrics and materials and technologies that were really popular in like mountaineering gear and climbing gear, some of these, um, you know, lots of the Gore-Tex type fabrics and things along those lines, um, and they started applying that to hunting. And um, at that time, they were the first people to do that. And so it was like really high-tech, closer-fitting, um, high-performance type clothing that just seemed awesome to me. So I started trying their stuff right after that, and I fell in love with it. And ever since then, I've, you know, continued to wear Sitka and been trying all their different things. And since that point, they eventually have become, you know, as everyone knows, a partner of Wired to Hunt. We've developed a relationship, um, but it's it's rooted in the fact that I really believed in their process of how they went about things, which is really cool. Um, and I actually got to spend some time with them last week because I was in Montana where their headquarters is. And I got to sit down and talk to their, you know, product designers and how all these things happen and how it's so rooted in research. Um, so that was, you know, fascinating. I won't dive into that too much right now. Um, we'll probably talk about some things in the future um, as we're going to be doing some more stuff with Sitka down the, lo down the road. But I really like their gear. Their new whitetail stuff that I used this past season is awesome. Um, I love the camouflage, and I like the fact that everything is designed to all the little things are considered. That's probably my favorite thing about Sitka is they, they've taken to mind little tiny things. Like all the little details that matter to me um, are incorporated into the product design. So like on a jacket called the Fanatic Jacket, you know, one of the biggest things for a lot of whitetail hunters is how do we stay warm and how do we keep our hands warm but then have easy access to them to draw our bow or, you know, get our grunt tube or do different things like that. So they've, you know, developed this whole fanatic line around keeping your hands warm. So they developed, you know, a jacket that allowed for a kangaroo pocket on the front where you can put both your hands in this kangaroo pocket and keep your hands warm in there. But to do that, they had to do a sideways zipper that comes around. So it's totally different than anything else out there. But it's super functional, and I love it now. It's totally different. It was a strange thing at first, but it's something that makes so much sense now. So there's lots of little things like that built into their clothing that I appreciate, um, and that's why I've used it and, and why I'm, you know, I'm very comfortable recommending it to people, but it's also one of those things that costs a lot of money. They're not cheap clothing. Um, and so with that said, you know, my two cents on Sitka is that it's not for everyone. You know, if you're a guy that likes to go out there, if you're, if you're just getting into hunting and you're going to go out a couple times a season, or if you've been hunting your whole life, but you just go out for opening weekend of gun season or whatever it is, you know, something like that maybe isn't the right way to use your money. Cause that's a, it's a pretty big investment. Um, but for a guy like me who's out there hunting 60, 70 days a year or more um, and who's going to be hunting in the hottest days and the coldest days and the wet days and the windy days, um, for me, it makes sense that that's a worthwhile investment because I'm using it so much and I need something that's going to allow me to stay out there and, and perform at the best of my ability. So that's why I've been using Sitka and why I like it. Um, but I know that you wear some different gear and you like what you use too. So what's, uh, what's your take on what you're using, Dan? Before I jump into something, Mark, 
I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to tell you that you have sparked my interest in I'll, I'll put it to you this way. This is where most of my off-season focus has been in looking at different types of gear. Okay. Yeah. We had we had this we had a conversation when you came down to shed hunt. We had a conversation at the ATA show in the hotel room, um, yeah. and you sparked my interest. One thing about science and functionality of, of specific, you know, of, of Sitka, and a lot of the the, the quote unquote popular uh, camel patterns and even predator. Like I'm a I'm a huge fan of predator camo. Love the pattern. Uh, the The owners of the company are awesome. Like, it's just when I when I look up into a tree into the fall in in the fall, I see predator camel. But the deer don't have human eyes. So I've been doing. I I read into how Sitka makes their you know camo. The research. And development and studies that have gone into it. I've recently just been um, reading and researching about a company called Cryptek Camo, mm-hmm. and the research and development that they've put into their camo pattern, doing st- studies on the human eye, and and how it focuses on specific camo patterns. That so that's kind of intriguing. And, and knowing that I'm, I'm going to have to go out into the West here this fall with no tree stand and no no real cover other than maybe hiding behind a tree, I'll be on the ground. So my camo is more important. You know, I'm, I'm debating internally of, of what I should do. Another thing that that I've, I've looked into is the functionality. Now, what you get with the, the mossy oaks and the real trees for the most part, you get the pattern. You get the coat, you get the t-shirt, you get the, you know, the, I don't, I don't want to say poor man's, but a, a more affordable camel pattern that's just, I don't know, it, it's just the camel pattern. There's not a lot of insulation or, or, or functionality or science that goes into keeping you warm or keeping you cool or you know, wicking away sweat or keeping the wind out like these other companies, especially Sika Gear and, and their background with Gore-Tex. But it's like I'm I'm starting to I'm start I love science and I love when a question can be answered. Why does this product work better than this product? Well, here's some research, some scientific background to tell you why. Yeah. So that's that's what that's what I really like. Yeah, well, we're gonna have to have lots of long conversations off there about that stuff, and because yeah. um, there's lots, lots of stuff there, and um, I don't want to harp on it too much. But this last week was just in, even more eye-opening to, to get the background about how this stuff's developed by um, by Sika, who's who I use. Um, but you know, again, everyone's gonna have their own opinions on that. Um, that's what I use. But there are, you know, admittedly, there's other companies that are starting to get into the game with some of the better, higher quality materials, too. So, um, you know, there's plenty of other brands out there to check out. Again, it's going to come down to what fits and feels right for you. But I would definitely recommend at least, you know, doing some research. Um, You know, again, don't make your purchase decision on some of these high dollar things like bows or guns or big sets of camouflage gear just because so-and-so on TV wears it. Um, I'd encourage you to, or even if, cause I recommend it, 
regardless of that, I'd encourage you to, to really dive in. There's so much available online. Now you can read and learn a lot about this stuff. Um, so take that extra money and learn about it. Um, because I think that's very enlightening. And yeah. I worry that lots of times we just, a lot of people just buy something cause their favorite so-and-so person wears it. And sometimes that's not going to end up, you know, being a purchase decision that you'll be happy about down the road. Um, so with these high dollar items, uh, high dollar items, take the time to learn. So I just want to elaborate one thing, especially in the Midwest, if you were a tree stand hunter, and depending on, on where, if you're hunting a field edge, maybe not as much, but the way I hunt in, in the Midwest on my hunting properties, I have recently gone to wearing solid brown pants and having one solid color as my, um, as my pants. And then I'd, I'd wear like a predator jacket or if it was cold, I would wear a, a double stuffed hooded sweatshirt. And my thought is if you are still, you don't need camouflage in the timber. It's kind of a, a fail safe at times. And it's, it's, it's reassuring knowing that you have camo on, but deer pick up movement so well, if, especially if their, if their body language is tense, that your camo pattern won't matter if you get busted. I mean, I've, I've worn predator, I've worn real tree, I've worn mossy oak and I've been busted every, you know, wearing every one of those patterns. So I just feel that if you do it right, you don't really need camo. I'm not telling you to wear a, a rainbow jacket into the timber with, you know, that's bedazzled. Right. Cause that's your, that's your usual attire when you're that's not my, hunting. So that's my, that's my day job attire. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I understand what you're saying. I think, yeah. um, you know, there's a lot to be said for the fact that, you know, if you do all the other things, right you're going to have the, the need for camouflage is less if you can yes. avoid a deer looking up into the tree at all. I, you know, I definitely think there's advantages to having camouflage if a deer is looking up in your direction. Um, but of course that's the worst case scenario. So, yes. you know, cross your T's and dot your I's first and hopefully that'll lessen your need for it. But I'm still going to go with something that I know can, can, uh, save the day when I do screw up and make, and you're comfortable. Yes. Because yes. how many how many times have we sit sat in a tree, and you're you're either wearing so many layers because your camouflage jacket is just a is just a pattern, and you got six or seven other layers on, and you're just not comfortable. You're either too hot or worse yet, you're too cold. And no, I I, I don't want to make this too much of a plug for uh for Sitka, but since I've been using it, I really you get yeah I don't have that issue because it's like smart layering for the right yep. environment and um that's i, I like it because it allows me to stay out in, no, in any kind of conditions i'm out there i'm super comfortable and i know that my gear isn't going to be the reason why i don't have success i'm right. never worried that i'm going to have an issue where i'm too loud or i get too cold and i have to leave or i'm sweating too much um and i'm just confident in it because of that so i think we should move on from that we've talked enough about it um it's interesting to hear. I you know, hopefully it's interesting to hear our perspectives and experience of those things. Um, I definitely like the high performance clothing brands. Now I think if you can afford it and you hunt enough, that's a worthwhile investment. Just, you know, people spend a thousand dollars or more on their bow. Um, if you're going to be hunting 60 or 40 or 30 days a year, I think what you wear out there is just as important as your thousand dollar bow. So, yeah. you know, that kind of investment, if you're going to use it, it'll last a long time. 
it's a big part of, uh, you know, being able to stay out there in the woods is a big part of success. So, yeah. So what about footwear? That's kind of the final piece of our clothing. Um, I have worn one brand of hunting boots since I was like 12, I think. Um, I have been using, hold on one second, Dan. I've got a phone buzzing here that's uh, mm-hmm. going to be a distraction. And I don't know even where it is. There's a phone. Big deal. Um, <laughs> I have been wearing lacrosse boots since I was like 12 years old or 15 years old or something. And it's just because like that was what my family used. Maybe somewhere somewhere around that age. Um, and they've just worked for me. They've yeah. just kept me warm, kept me dry. I've occasionally had you know the, the occasional issues, just like you'll have with any boots. But just overall, I've had a really positive experience with them. So right now I'm wearing the lacrosse uh, Arrowhead. And those are, you know, your, your high rubber boots. But what's pretty cool about them is that it's a combination of rubber uh, or some kind of rubber and a neoprene upper um, that just makes it fit your foot a lot differently than some of the other rubber boots I've worn from them in the, in the, from them in the past and just makes it super comfortable. Um, it kind of holds your ankle in the back of your foot in there a little bit more. And I've, uh, excuse me has just been great for walking. Like when I'm going deep, when I'm hiking deep into a stand, um, they just stick to my foot in a much more comfortable way. Um, so that's the boot I'm wearing right now. I've been very happy with it. Um, I guess, you know, regardless of brand, I've always liked having the kind of knee-high rubber boots, um, both because yep. I want to be able to walk through streams and things and not worry about it, and because, you know, to a degree they hold less scent. So... You know, at a minimum, that's what I'd recommend. And my current boot of choice is the Arrowhead from Lacrosse. Um, but from a boot standpoint, that's what I'm rocking. What about you? Well, my my muddy my muddy conditions, my uh, extreme cold conditions. Uh, I'm I'm using a pair of muck boots, the rubber boots um, that you can roll down when you're walking in, so the heat escapes. And then I get to my stand, and then. Um, I can roll them back up. Don't have to worry about my feet getting wet. Uh, the only issue with that is it's once you're up in the stand, uh, and depending on the weather, the it, it can it's not the best. I mean, it's not it's not the best. I, I I wear them because I don't want my feet to get wet when I'm crossing a creek or a stream, and then I pretty much just tough it out. Or you know, I wear a pair of wool socks and uh, a ton of um, adhesive. Uh, foot warmers for uh, for the, I mean this this November this past November was freezing cold during the rut and uh, I went through about forty seven thousand adhesive body warmers <laughs> and, and foot foot things but um, early season I mean I'm wearing a pair of old hiking boots just because for, purely for comfortable you know comfortable I don't even know the brand maybe Wolverine I bought them at a I bought them at like a, a Farm King or a, a Tyson's, um, but my main hunting boot and the hunting boot that I wore out to Nebraska was Danner Pronghorns, and they are very comfortable and very you know they're they're broken in right now really well and uh, they they work they work just fine for me and I I'm, I wear it when they get cold out. When it gets cold out, and I'll put if I don't have to cross a creek or if I'm hunting up high, I'll uh, you know have plenty of room for extra socks if need be. 
Very good. Yeah, yeah. I um, your rubber boots, your muck boots. Do you not have like a version that's got some kind of insulation in there? Yeah, I do have. I do have the insulation, but uh, this this winter or this rut in Iowa was so cold. I mean, it was thirteen degrees for two days, three days in a row. Yeah. When that really. cold front came through, I don't care. I I mean, I unless I'm wearing some kind of Arctic gear your feet are going to get cold. Yeah. It's, it's tough in those kinds of conditions. Yeah. Um, I definitely recommend, you know, with the the rubber boots to, to get ones that have some type of like insulate insulation in them. Or, you know, if you've got the neoprene boots that, um, you'll get the thicker neoprene. Like for me with the arrowheads, there's a couple different thickness levels and, uh, I use the thickest one. I think it's eight millimeters maybe. Um, and that helps because cold feet, is one of those things that can drive you out of the woods. And for me, yeah. it's anything I can do to stay in the woods, I'm going to do it. So, right. Right. so that's footwear. Um, yeah, we're going, we're kind of going pretty long here. So maybe we got to wrap things up pretty quickly. What about trail cameras? That's something we've not talked yeah. about. It's a popular gear topic. What trail cameras are you using? Well, I'll tell you, I'm glad, I'm glad we're going to cover this topic because there are so many, different types of trail cameras out there. I have used Moultrie's. I have used Reconyx, which I spent, I think, $400, and then it was stolen. So Yikes. that made me upset, and that made me realize that what I use trail cameras for are to get pictures and to locate deer. So... If a trail camera picture can, t- if a trail camera can take a picture when a deer walks in front of it, and the trigger speed is sufficient enough to catch it in the frame, so I know what buck it is, so I know that I can make a decision to go after it, it th- it's fine for me. Right now, I have all covert trail cameras, and I've gotten those for free from the past uh, dealings that I was with, and I also had to pay for a couple of them uh, discounted price. So, so they work very well. Um, they, they also, I also have one of those show cameras that sends stuff to your phone, but or sends pictures to your phone, but you have to have cell phone service in that area and the places where I want, you know, that would work for me. I have no cell phone service, so it's kind of obsolete. <laughs> yeah. I don't run a lot of video, so I really don't care about the video aspect of it. I want a picture from the trail camera showing what buck is in the area, what buck hits the scrape it's over, what buck is eating out of this mineral pile that I that I put up, you know, here in the next couple of weeks. That's all I want. So, there's trail cameras out there that are from 60 bucks to 600 bucks, even more than that that can do that job. So, for me, in the position that I'm in, the next time I go to buy a trail camera, I'm probably going to look for the cheaper, on the cheaper end. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, I've kind of gotten to a point where I'm sort of similar to you too, um, in that, you know, where things are for me right now, the way I use trail cameras um, is similar to you. I just need to get a picture, and I need to know if the general quality, general basics of that deer i need to be able to see the body you know how old is it and a general idea of you know what deer is this or is this a deer i've seen before or whatnot um 
and I also don't have a whole lot of money I can use on to spend on trail cameras. I I actually don't think I've ever got well. I think I've gotten one trail camera for free in the past. Um, but overall, I've probably I probably bought like ten to fifteen cameras myself. Yeah. Um. So what I've been trying to do when I'm buying this camera is get a camera that like the worst. I've I've tried the super cheap ones. And the yeah. worst thing is when you put a camera up and then you get back there a week or two weeks or three weeks later and the thing hasn't taken any pictures or it took like 20 and they're all black. Um, so like there's nothing like more depressing to me than being super pumped up about a trail camera pole and then you get there and there's no pictures. So I hate that. I don't so, even want to talk about it because I, I am literally getting fired up in my seat right now because <laughs> I'm thinking about times that that's happened to me. Yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, it's like you woke up Christmas morning and Santa left you nothing but coal. Right. So, so what I've tried to do is I've kind of looked for that minimum threshold where I can get a camera that I feel like is going to get me a good enough picture, but is going to avoid the, the constant failure or the significant risk of failure. Um, so for me at this point, you know, with what I can afford and the number of cameras I like to have, I, I need a lot of cameras or I'd like to have a lot of cameras because I hunt a lot of different properties. Um, so, you know, you hunt mainly one core property. Um, I've got, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different properties I'm trying to hunt. So I like to have a, a decent number of cameras to spread that around. So for me, that sweet spot has been like the 150 to $200 range is where I feel like it's a good enough camera that I'm not like worried about failure, but, um, I'm not spending the $500 or $600 per camera, which those are great cameras. It's just not mm -hmm. what I need right now and what I can afford right now. Um, so the brand, the two brands that I personally had the most experience with, um, are Moultrie and Bushnell. Um, I've yep. also used Wild Game Innovations and Covert cameras, and I think one other one, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. But right now, and Cuddyback, I've got a Cuddyback too. Um, and you know, there's plenty of good options, but the two I've enjoyed the most have been Moultrie and Bushnell. My my like my go-to is the Bushnell. Um, for me, the basic Bushnell trophy cam, it just works. Um, I'm not always getting the absolute per most perfect picture. It's not always, you know, the fanciest, but it just works for me. So I've got more Bushnell trophy cams than anything else. If someone were to ask me, you know, what camera would you recommend? That's like my safe bet go to. So, you know, take into account, you know, like all these things, you got to research, you got to figure out what the right thing is for you. If you're buying one trail camera and you're only going to use one trail camera and you want to get great pictures, you, know, you might want to buy one of the more expensive models of one of these different brands. Um, but if you're going to be using a bunch for like overall like surveillance and trying to get a basic idea of what's going on, you know, I think that sweet spot somewhere in that $150, $200 range, at least from what I've found, is, is maybe where you need to be looking to be somewhat affordable. It's still, you know, that's still not cheap, um, but it's it's more affordable and I think that when you get to that level, you avoid like the, at least from what I've seen, you're avoiding the junk level and you're getting to the point where it's pretty safe. So that's my two cents on it. Right. And there's like, there's a point where I don't care how many megapixels the camera takes. Eight megapixels seems to eight to 12, you know, 12, I, the highest I have right now is 12 takes awesome pictures. Eight megapixels also takes great pictures and it's cheaper than the 12. So it's, it's one of those things where I feel there's a threshold that's reached where anything over a certain amount just is insignificant and it doesn't even really matter. And it, I, and it's one of those things where if you have, it's how you hunt and how you use your trail cameras that you should ask yourself, is this specific feature worth the extra dollar amount? 
Yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree. And it just comes down to, like you said, how you're using your cameras, what's important yeah. to you. So, yeah. and that probably goes for just basically everything we've talked about. Um, yeah, exactly. That said, are there any other categories of gear that you think we should cover? You know, I think we've covered a majority of, of the, the in your face. Um, I tell you, last year I stepped up to a heavier arrow. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I shoot 80 pounds and it's not because I want to be some badass. It's because I can pull back 80 pounds. I feel comfortable doing it. So why not? So because of that, I decided I want to, I want to pick up a, a really, really heavy arrow and get as much kinetic energy as possible because I've had situations in the past where I didn't get the penetration that I needed and that resulted in a buck not dying. So that's why I decided to pick up I, um, the Easton uh, Full Metal Jackets is what I'm shooting. Okay. So they they are they're like driving a semi. I mean, it's they hit hard. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I think there is something to be said about, you know, paying attention to the penetration that an arrow can get and the kinetic energy you can you can get with that arrow in your setup. Um for me, when it comes to arrows, it's been that's another one of like legacy products. Like I've been shooting Carbon Express arrows since I started bow hunting. Yep. And they've just worked for me and I've just have developed a trust with them. And they yep. also seem to be a company that's consistently been upping the ante like every year they've got something new and, and um something techno technologically sound that is always you know continuing to push arrows in the right direction from my perspective at least so i've been really happy with those products you know for the last 10 15 years or however long it's been 15 16 years i don't know um so right now i'm shooting the carbon express maxima reds and yeah. they just they they group tight i i just noticeably could see a, di a difference when i from my previous arrows from them too to switching to those it just it really helped my my groups so i've been happy with those still using them and i'm sure i'll keep evolving what arrows i choose and it'll change with my different bow setups too um but for me that's something that i trust uh, and i've been happy with so what about broadheads we haven't talked about broadheads oh that's, jesus that's jesus. something that everyone yeah gets fired up about man there's so many different broadheads out there and i'll, I'll tell you right now i don't use rage broadheads because everybody else uses rage broadheads i hate their commercials and i just like they're just like it's like throwing an axe through an animal like i don't i don't like it i don't like there's you talk to everybody you talk to they either love rage or they freaking hate rage like there's there's nobody i've ever talked to that's like uh yeah rage they're okay they either hate them or they love them so for that reason, I just don't don't use them. It, I don't I don't know why I brought that up, but it's just something that I see their commercials all the time. I'm just like, ugh. Anyway, I'm about to blow your mind. You're shooting rage. I'm I am that guy who does not hate them, but does not love them. You, my friend, are one in a million people. I know. You're you're <laughs> wow. Nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad I could be the first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's it's another one of those things that, for me, I guess I'm kind of, you know, as much as I like to push things technologically, I also have, like, some degree of discomfort with things. Oh, 
exactly. And once I get comfortable with something, if it's worked for me, I'm hesitant to change it unless there's something like super, super compelling that pushes me. So when it comes to rage, like I just started shooting rage a long time ago, probably because the commercials and I don't particularly care for it now either. Um, but it's just what I shot and it just worked for me and I love the blood trails. Um, but like I, I want to change. I think I want to try something else, but I've just haven't. Um, so I'm waiting for someone to wow me with a reason why I really need to try something else. And I probably will try some different things because, you know, I know the inherent risk of something like an expandable, like rage is, you know, if you get that shoulder blade shot or something, you're just not going to, you're not going to get the penetration. Um, but as long as I can put the arrow where it needs to go, I do feel very confident if I put it in the right place, that thing is going to tear a big hole in it. And, um, that will do the job. So That's with a majority of broadheads. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you put it in the right place, it doesn't matter. So now, I've used I'm I'm currently using Spitfire, NAP Spitfires. Okay. I went away from them because there was a there was a product out there called Epic Broadheads. Yeah. It it was all the blades were completely enclosed in the housing. That company never gained traction. They're out of business and in my opinion, one of the best broadheads and one of the best new technology to ever come to the archery industry, hunting industry in a very long time. They didn't have the money to proper, you know, my opinion is they didn't have the money to properly market the product. Uh, I think another thing is they had too many uh, chiefs, not enough Indians type of <laughs> type of deal. I gotcha. And, and they might've been outdone in the marketing standpoint from some of the other big big name companies. So that, you know, that's the example I mentioned earlier, but like you said, and especially for my arrow setup, my broadhead is a spitfire. My arrow is a full metal jacket. I'm using blazer veins and I just feel comfortable with that setup and the way my bow shoots that it's one of those things in the back of your head. Every time you enter the timber, part of hunting is feeling comfortable and feeling confident in that hunt knowing that when the moment comes you're going to you're going to kill and it's it's a mental game your gear ha- has to play in with that as well i think oh yeah there's so many things that can go wrong in a hunt i yep. want to know that everything that i'm bringing out there with me will not cause an issue i need to have full confidence in it just like you said because we put so much time so much effort so much of ourselves into this that a gear failure is it's unacceptable so and and know. i don't give gear I typically don't give gear a second chance if it fails. Yeah. It's probably true for a lot of people. Yep. I think um I think that's where a lot of and and sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing though too, right? Because if if a one-time issue might sour the overall reputation of a product for that person um when maybe, you know, 9 times out of 10 that's a great product and would work better than all the others you tried, but you know, that that's just human nature, I guess. We judge things based on our own personal anecdotal experiences so um that said even though i do shoot jumping back to the broadhead thing even though i do shoot a rage i did use um a muzzy trocar fixed blade to go out elk hunting and that worked really well for me it flew real nice i had a 40 yard shot at my elk and um got full penetration blew through him and uh, i've been happy with that so that's something i've you know have we'll be using probably out west again this year and I'm continuing to experiment with fixed blades. I, I need to. Tr- I think I want to try some different fixed blades and see what works for me. So yeah. that's something I'll continue to explore. And that's definitely one thing that 
this new Western hunt that we're going on in September, I, I'm in, I'm in complete research mode right now because I, I still have a ton of gear I have to get for this trip and I'm, I'm doing my research. I'm not, I'm not using anybody else's real opinion on a purchase except for, you know, someone who I can trust or my own research, yeah. my own, my own experiences. Yeah. It's uh that's a fun, but sometimes stressful process, especially when you're gearing up for something totally new like yeah. you are in, in big, yeah. it, it's a big deal. If your gear doesn't work out there, you're not hunting. I mean, you're, you're walking back to your truck. Right. And this is your once a year, you know, or for some yep. people, once in a lifetime opportunity to go out on a big Western hunt or something like that. Um, you know, in those cases or any, you know, for any situation, but especially that kind of situation, um, if your gear is the reason why you're not successful, um, that's just, it. to me, it's unacceptable. You just can't have something that's going to keep you from reaching whatever your goals are. Um, but, you know, we all kind of learn as we go, and that's an evolving process of figuring out what will work and what won't. So hopefully, hopefully us rambling here for an hour and a half sharing our own personal opinions, hopefully that helps a little bit. Um, I think it's safe to say that anything we've talked about here, you might have different opinions on it. You might have different experiences with it. Um, but at least you will know that two guys, your two friends, Mark and Dan, at least you'll know that these are a couple things we trust and that we've had success with. And if that's helpful at all to you, um, I hope that that will at least, you know, help a few of your decisions in the future. Or at least maybe we'll give you some things to think about when you're making some decisions of your own. So I, what I would like is to hear from you guys on what products may have worked good for you, because I am, I'm the type of person where, yeah, I, I feel comfortable with certain items, but if there's a product out there that will work better than what I currently have, I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely would like to hear that. It's, it's gear is one of those things that we love to debate. People always love to debate the different merits. And so would love to hear everyone's perspective. Feel free to go to wiredhunt.com slash episode 52. If there's something that you really want to share with us, a piece of gear that we didn't mention at all, or maybe something we did mention and you disagree with us, we'd love to hear it. Um, or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook too. Um, and I think one other quick thing before we wrap up. Um, but I think all the gear in the world, all the most expensive gear in the world, won't make a lick of difference if you're not doing the other things related to the hunt itself right in the first Amen. place. Amen. So don't ever look at gear or expensive gear, or fancy gear, or whatever, some special product. It's never going to be the, the cure all. It's never going to solve all your problems. It's never going to be a crutch. Um, you need to be hunting smart. You need to be making the right decisions and you need to be working hard. And if you do those things, then all of your gear can, can help you and making sure you make the right decisions with gear can make sure that, that gear doesn't, you know, create an unnecessary failure, but don't look as it, don't look at it as something that's going to, you know, make or break your success it, more. So you should be doing all the right things first and then gear should just work. Yep. So I don't know, Dan, that's my two cents on gear. Let's shut her down. Let's shut her down. So my wife's water just broke. She did. No, that's, that'd oh. be cool. If oh. did. That's how, <laughs> that'd be cool if we ended the stories like, gotta go, water just broke. <laughs> that would be a heck of an ending. <laughs> For a second there, my jaw dropped. I was like, seriously? That just happened? Um, but heck, maybe we will have a baby story next week. That'd be pretty cool. 
there is a chance that by the time this episode's air, this episode airs, there's a Dan Jr. running around. Dallas Fort Worth Jr. Is that what you're going to name him? Yep, Dallas, Dallas Fort Worth Johnson. Oh, man, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> do you believe me? I really do. I could see you doing that for sure. You would do that. <laughs> yeah, I would. But, <laughs> but my it's wife not. wouldn't. Your wife wouldn't. <laughs> that's always the wild card, isn't it? <laughs> Well, All we, right. broke, we broke a personal record for longest podcast today, so we better get, get out of here. We got to shut this down. So if you want any more information um, or links to some of the things we talked about, there's some different articles I've written in the past on Wired to Hunt that talk about some of these things. We will have links to those things at wiredtohunt.com slash episode 52. And, you know, we mentioned this a lot, but if you've been enjoying the show, and you haven't done this yet, we have a small favor to ask. If you could lay, leave us a rating or review on iTunes, it's a huge help. Um, that's how people decide whether or not to try giving the Wired to Hunt podcast a try. And when they see your honest reviews there, it really helps them figure out, you know, is this worth an hour of my time? Hopefully, this has been worth your time lots of times. So we appreciate you, you know, leaving that honest rating or review on iTunes. Also, as always, we'd like to thank our partners who do help make this show possible. Um, it's not, you know, it takes a lot of time. It takes money. It takes energy to keep this thing coming up every week and all the other things we do on Wired to Hunt. So big props to these companies for stepping up and helping that actually be possible. So thank you to Sitka Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Huntera Maps, Ozonics, Carbon Express, Lacrosse Boots, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. And finally, and most importantly, thank you to all of you guys and girls joining us today. Your time, your support, your feedback, all of it. We just appreciate it so much. So have an awesome week. Enjoy some time in the great outdoors and stay wired to hunt. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.